0: Um, right, the Bible reading this morning is taken from Galatians 5 and verses 16 to 25. And if you look in the Bibles just in front of you, um, open them up, it's on page 1155. Life by the Spirit. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of sinful nature. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, My name is Scott as well, and let me add my welcome to Scott's welcome. Just before we get into stuff, um, lots of really good opportunities in this coming week to be involved in things at St. Matthew's. Um, and can I really encourage you to come along to the combined churches thing next Sunday? I can see that it could be a temptation for some of you to think it's a day off church, but uh, let me encourage you to come along. Uh, it goes from two to five, but if you know three hours is too long, then the the kind of combined service thing will be in the back end of that time slot, kind of between three thirty and four. Great opportunity to express unity as Christians. great opportunity to bring a friend along who 's an unbeliever um, and there 's some limited opportunities to serve as well If you would like to help us cook some um, the barbecue for the combined churches we still still need a few helpers. please come and see me if you would like to do that, especially if you're kind of you don 't have a regular opportunity to serve a one off kind of opportunity to serve might be just what you 're after. Let me pray and we 'll get into this great passage. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you that they are not just words on a page. So help us not to treat them as words on a page, but as the words that your Spirit has breathed life into. And we want to be people who hear them just as that. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Righto, I reckon it's really hard to say anything negative about fruit, don't you reckon? Fruit. Even the word "fruit" sounds good. I know there are a few killjoys out there at the moment who are now saying that fruit is too high in sugar, and that's bad, and we should ditch it. Uh, that is sugar, or ditch some fruit. But I'm not buying into that. Are you? Thank you, brother. Got a friend of mine. He's a minister on the Northern Beaches, and uh, he decided to go on one of those no-sugar diets. That sound really boring, because they are really boring. And uh, he was telling me how he wasn't eating apples or bananas or pears anymore. So I said to him, have you lost any weight? And he said a little bit as he kind of jammed a chunky piece of camembert into his mouth. And so I'm not buying the no fruit thing one little bit. How can anything that grows on a tree be bad, especially when it looks like that? I want to convince you that uh, the best fruit of all is the white peach. Gorgeous looking thing. How can you think God doesn't exist when you see something that looks like that? It's exotic, yet familiar. It's sweet and juicy as, but with just enough tartness to remind you who's the boss. I think it's the catwalk uh, supermodel of the fruit world. And I think that this little baby is the thing more than any other fruit, except for perhaps a mango that first plunged our world into sin in the Garden of Eden. That's what I think. Now, today's talk is entitled Gospel Fruit. It's from Galatians 5, and Galatians 5 is most well known for those two verses that talk about the fruit of the Spirit. But though this part of Galatians is about fruit, it's not mostly about fruit. In actual fact, it's mostly about a battle. You might be thinking, that is so typical of you Christians. Like, even when you're meant to be talking about something nice like fruit, you want to talk about something nasty like battle. But actually, there is a connection. The fruit emerges in us. Only if we take the battle seriously. And we're going to see how that connection works in a moment. But so far in this neat little letter from the Apostle Paul to the Galatian Christians, we've discovered how the gospel of Jesus brings justification. That is, it declares us right or innocent before God through faith not through our own human efforts or striving. We've seen how the gospel or the good news about Jesus turns us from slaves to the law into sons and heirs and children of our heavenly Father. We've seen how the gospel entitles us to the gift of the Holy Spirit that is God, or who is God, I should say, living in us. And last week we saw how the gospel brings freedom. That freedom stands in jeopardy of being hijacked by slavery to our human efforts. That's what we focused most on last week. But that freedom can also degenerate quite easily into sinful indulgence. And that's what we're going to focus on today. And so firstly then, there is a battle raging between the spirit and the sinful nature within all Christians. There's kind of this internal uh, combat between the sinful nature we were born with and the Holy Spirit who has taken up residence in our spirits. Let's see how the Apostle Paul speaks of it in verses 16 and 17, either in your Bibles or up here. Paul says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. You see very uh, little discussion of fruit there. It's all about the battle. Two forces that are contrary or opposed to each other. Two forces that are in conflict with one another. I've got a friend of mine. He's a terrific Christian guy. He's a colonel in the Australian Army. He's got this picture that hangs above his wall in his living room. It's an 1881 oil painting by Lady Butler that's hanging in uh, an art gallery in Leeds in England and it's depicting the charge of the Royal Scots Greys. They're a British cavalry regiment at the Battle of Waterloo in 1815. Now they're named the Royal Scots Greys after the heavy grey horses that were used by this regiment throughout its history until they swapped eventually horses for tanks uh, at the start of World War II. 200 men... 224 of the grey horses were killed or wounded during the charge that is depicted in this painting. In other words, it was on. Now the battle that is raging in Galatians 5 is on as well. But it rages internally, not externally like in this picture. But that doesn't make it any less real, doesn't make it any less fierce. Just because we cannot see blood, it doesn't mean there's not a fight on It just means that combatants aren't physical forces. And so who are they? Well, firstly, there is the sinful nature, what um, other versions of the Bible sometimes call the flesh. But you don't want to confuse flesh with our physical bodies. The flesh or the sinful nature is that sin-desiring aspect of our being that remains in us even after we become believers. We're born with it. We inherit it from our first father, Adam. And we've been gladly operating out of it since birth. And a remnant of it remains within us, even after we turn to Christ. But happily, after we turn to Christ, after that day we first trusted in him, instead of trusting in ourselves to be accepted and loved by God, we have God's Spirit who has taken up residence in our souls. So Christ, by his Spirit, lives within us, and the Spirit desires Christ and Christ-likeness in us. And if you cannot see that kind of battle because it's raging in our souls, because it's a spiritual rather than a physical thing, you can actually see what it produces outwardly. There's an obvious contrast between the acts of the sinful nature that are described in verses 19 to 21 and the fruit of the Spirit, which are described in verses uh, 22 and 23. So the internal forces are invisible, but the output isn't. The fruit or the acts of both nature, are obviously in contrast. And it really is because we have these two forces in operation in our hearts that explains the tension that we sometimes actually often feel as Christians. They're not equal and opposite forces, balancing each other out. But that remnant of the sinful nature that resides within explains why we so often feel downcast, depressed, and frustrated at our lack of progress. I mean, we know those words in verse 17 well, don't we? They are in conflict with each other so that we do not do what we want, not just as some kind of theoretical abstract ideas. We know them as ground-level daily realities, don't we? And I can totally see why this is cause for anxiety and frustration and despair, but I do want to encourage us this morning that actually this is a reason for great hope as well. You might think, how? But I think it actually tells you that you're in the fight. That tension tells you that you know that there are bullets that are flying around in your soul. You know that there is a war which is raging. If you feel the tension of not doing what you really want to do, I'm just saying that is your conscience being pricked by the swords of these two combatants, the sinful nature and the spirit within us, who are locked in irreconcilable hostility. A war is not meant to feel comfortable, brothers and sisters. Let me say that if you feel discomfort, it's probably a good sign. Let me say if you feel comfortable and free from tension, then I would be worried about you. But the second reason why I think that tension and that frustration is actually a cause for hope, or at least it can be, is that it reminds us that what we really want to do is exactly what God's Spirit wants us to do. In other words, the tension only exists because there is a remnant of our sinful nature that interrupts what our best selves now earnestly desire us to do. It ought to be an encouragement, really, that we really want to do the right thing, more than a discouragement that we often don't, while there is this battle raging. And of course, brothers and sisters, this battle will not rage forever. We will be blissfully delivered From whatever is left of our sinful nature when Jesus returns, and when the sinful nature is purged from within us, evicted like a bad tenant. So there is a conflict between the sinful nature that remains and the Holy Spirit who has most assuredly made his home in our souls. We do not always do what we want, but that means at least that what we want to do is the same very good things that the Spirit is working in us. So take heart is all I'm saying. But I also would say, take action. Take heart. Take action. And secondly, for today, we live by the Spirit by crucifying not only our sinful behaviours, but also the deep motivations and desires of the sinful nature. We crucify the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And I reckon... This little bit is really interesting because as a minister, there is a big part of me, like basically all of me, that just wants to jump to external kind of actions and behavior. Why aren't our people more committed, I might say? Being regular used to mean coming twice a Sunday. Now it means twice a month. Why aren't our people more joyful in their singing? For goodness sakes, why don't they laugh at my jokes more? You know, we're always jumping to externals. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I think all of us jump to just the external observable actions and behaviours. We looked for changed behaviours in others, perhaps our children or our spouses, but we really want better outcomes from ourselves. But if you notice in this passage, the Apostle Paul doesn't just say, change your behaviour, change your action. Of course, it's implied there in verse 19 when he says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. I mean, there's all kinds of sexual impurity Uh, immorality and debauchery which covers all forms of sexual behavior outside the marriage covenant and then there's kind of religious immorality of worshipping created things idolatry or engaging in witchcraft and there's relational or social immorality that's covered by those eight categories in verse 20 that begin with hatred and ends with envy and then there's uh, you know you might call it Chemical immorality, if you like, at a stretch. Drunkenness and orgies and the like. So they're obviously bad things, aren't they? But the text doesn't say, just change your behaviour. Just try a little harder at the surface. It's only later in verse 24 when it becomes clear that real change only happens if it comes from the deep motivational attitude level. Kind of inside out, as it were. Let's have a look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, Christians those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires you know anyone just about can change behavior for a short period of time even in the most remarkable ways we can fake it for a bit at the surface level but change just at that surface external behavioral level really translates into lasting change what we need is change at the deep level of our motivations our, our attitudes, which then impact our desires and our actions. So I want to give you an example from my life at the moment. Uh, our eldest boy is in year six, and he's finishing up primary school, so we've decided to keep all three of our lads at school in St. Ives to the end of the year. Now, if you don't know where St. Ives is, west of Pittwater Road, there's this place. Uh, what's it called again? That's right, the rest of the world. Okay, so St. Ives is... In the rest of the world there, and uh, mostly my darling wife Carolyn does the school run, but sometimes I do it if it's an early run. So St Ives is up on the North Shore in the rest of the world, about a half hour up the hill on a good run. When I drive the boys up early and then turn around right away to come back down to Manly, I've realised that I sit in traffic for two hours straight. So by the time I reach the office after two hours straight in traffic, I'm pretty cranky. Sometimes people in the office say, Scott, you've got your stressed face on. And I'm like, no, this is my murderous face, actually. Give me some distance. Now the question is, why am I so annoyed? And What should I actually do about it? Well, I could just change at the behavioural level. I could. I could be more patient, Scott. Listen to classical music. uh, Buy one of those CDs with the sound of the ocean lapping or the sounds of the rainforest. But that's not going to bring about lasting change. I'm just mucking around at that external behavioural level. Actually, I think my fits of rage arise because I feel like I'm too important and my work is too important to be interrupted by bad traffic for so long. I'm entitled to a better run. I'm entitled to a quicker commute because my work and really myself are that important. See, it's actually called pride at that deep level. And I need to deal with that pride and that entitlement at the deep level rather than just tinkering around at the surface. And to do that, I need to remember that I'm considered important enough by God for him to send his son to rescue me from sin, death, and the devil. And that my significance to him has been secured for all eternity so that I don't need to battle and fight and rush for a precarious importance that is based on my work, what I can produce, what I can do. If at that deepest soul level, I'm convinced that God loves me and he values me regardless of what I contribute to society, Or contribute to the economy then I don't need to keep jostling in traffic or in the rat race or whatever it is. Being loved is better than being proud and entitled. But you see it's only change at that deep motivational level that's going to reduce the fits of rage that appear on the surface for good. Crucifying the sinful nature along with its passions and desires will bring about the lasting change that classical music or the sounds of the rainforest just can't bring. And so I've got to remember that as a Christian, I've crucified the sinful nature. That sinful part of me which feels entitled, which feels proud, which feels the need to push and assert and rage is actually dead. Now this process is empowered And directed by God's Spirit within me. But it's worth seeing that it's actually not a case of just letting go and letting God. Have a look in verse 24 again. It says that this is our action. It is something that is done by us, not something that's done to us. It's talking about something a little bit different to back in Galatians 2, verse 20, where it says, We have been crucified with Christ meaning that we're so united with Jesus in his death and also in his resurrection. This is saying something a little bit different. It's saying that under the direction of the Holy Spirit, we crucify the sinful nature, that deep level and its passions and its desires. And if you think about crucifixion, you think, well, it was decisive and it was painful. And so the crucifixion of our sinful natures is going to be both decisive And it will be painful. And when we discover these acts of the sinful nature in our lives, whether they're sexual immorality or religious immorality or social immorality or chemical immorality, we just need to ask ourselves the question, have we acted decisively upon our sinful nature? Or is it the case that we have declared war on the sinful nature in general, but we've reopened or recommenced negotiations with one part of it? It's a good question to ask yourself. And I found myself this week thinking, I reckon I have declared war on the sinful nature in some areas, maybe many areas. But there are other parts where I'm looking for a treaty. I'm looking for a compromise between my sinful nature and the spirit within me. I'm looking for a middle way. I want a bit of both. I wonder if that's the same for you. Thirdly, uh, this conflict between the sinful nature and God's great spirit who lives in our spirits. In this conflict, we keep in step with the spirit, bearing his fruit. To live by the spirit means to keep in step with the spirit. And that will result in us bearing fruit of the spirit. Let's have a look at verses 22 to 25. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Then down to verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul, at the very beginning of the passage, verse 16, he started by encouraging us that if we live by the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature Not meaning that it's impossible to give in to those temptations. Clearly it's possible because he says, you know, often we do not do what we want to do. It's not impossible, but it's inappropriate now that we have God's spirit, God's presence within us. And then he showed us that the way to not gratify the desires of the sinful nature is not just to try harder at that surface level, but to remember that we have crucified the sinful nature, as painful and as decisive as that may be, at that deep motivational level. But the last part of the equation is to keep in step with the Spirit. Or some versions say to walk in the Spirit. And I want you to cast your mind back to when you were a kid and you were at the beach and you saw a set of footprints running along the beach in the same direction you were. Like this, I guess. Maybe the footprints weren't quite as big. But I want to ask you, do you remember what you did when you saw footprints like that? Because I reckon automatically we try to put our footprints in the footsteps of the one who had gone before us. Didn't you do that? I reckon you did that. Now if it was a tall adult who had gone before you, that might have been a bit tricky. But in most cases I reckon you'd be able to do it. Put your footprint in the footsteps of the one who had gone before you. And that really is the picture that we have here in Galatians. Working from this uh, deep level to the surface level, from the inside to the outside, is a process that is both empowered by the Holy Spirit, who whispers to our souls that we are deeply loved by God, and it's also directed by Him as He prods our minds through the Word in Scripture, through His people, and through His prompting. He directs us in this inside-out godliness in those ways, through his word, through his people, and through his prompting. And so we keep in step with the Spirit, in his footsteps, so to speak, by listening to him and obeying him. So we're not doing this on our own. The Spirit within us is leading and directing and prompting us. We are well and truly a part of the process. We're active in it. You might say, well, how much is the work of the Spirit And how much is our work? Well, have a look in your Bibles, verse 18. It says, we're led by the Spirit. Now, that's passive. But in verse 25, it says, keep in step with the Spirit, which is active. So the Spirit does the leading, and we do the walking. We are both involved. And you see, keeping in step with the Spirit will result in the fruits of the Spirit emerging in our life. It'll result in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's important to see that the fruit of the Spirit is not the same thing as the gifts of the Spirit. You might have been given the gift of speaking, but if you don't exercise that with the fruit of love, then 1 Corinthians, Paul says, you're just making an irritating noise. So don't confuse the gifts of the Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit. Nor is the fruit of the Spirit just what you're naturally good at. You can't say, I'm generally joyful, but I'm a bit rough with people, not gentle at all, but that's how God made me and he loves me for who I am. I mean, you can't say it like that. You know, uh, when we moved down to Manly a couple of months ago, a a box of uh, fruit and veggies just appeared at our doorstep. And uh, there was no note, and so we didn't quite know what to make of it. We thought, oh, this could, you know, a generous gift from someone or... Um, maybe they got the address wrong and it it should have gone next door and no one claimed it. So a few days later, I rang up the supplier who told me that it was the order of the previous tenant that belonged to them. Now, I'd already eaten a couple of the bananas, so I wasn't planning on returning the whole box. And they said, you can keep it, which I thought was a good result all round. But if you've ever gotten one of those boxes of uh, fruit and veggies, you know there's always a couple of unusual items thrown in there. You know, there's an odd root vegetable or maybe there's um, you know, some Asian greens that you've never seen before. And you, you look at that root vegetable and you're like, I don't know which end to eat and which end is poisonous. And even if I could work that out, I don't know what to do with it. You know, do, I, do I cook it? Do I peel it? Do I smoke it? I don't really know. And so you know what you do? You throw it out. Every time you get a box, you keep the fruit that you like and you chuck the fruit that doesn't seem quite you. But you can't do that with the fruit of the Spirit. Did you notice that it's the singular fruit, not fruits? Meaning you don't pick and choose, but that these things should grow together. And so rather than just leaning into that which you're naturally good at, perhaps love and joy, and not worrying about those areas which aren't your specialty, maybe peace or gentleness or self-control, it's worth thinking about which area of your life the Spirit through this particular word today is saying, well, how about this? Is it love? Is it joy? Is it peace? Is it patience? Is it kindness? Is it goodness? Is it faithfulness? Is it gentleness? Could it be self-control? It's a singular fruit. The virtues grow together. You just can't pick some and discard the others, but there could be some that are worth focusing on. Don't you look down that list and think, man, I would love to be growing in all these areas. You know that that will not only result in a better you, and a better me, it'll actually result in a better us, which is what verse 26 is pointing to. We keep in step with the Spirit, and that causes us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Right, guys, as we finish up, uh, I love fruit. I really do. How can you not, by the way, when you see that? Especially the white. How good does it look? But even if you don't like fruit, all Christians look at the fruit of the Spirit and want to grow in it. But, you know, just trying harder at the surface level won't be the answer because there is that deep battle that's going on between the remnant of our sinful nature and God's Spirit living within us. And if fruit is really the product of things being healthy deep down, that's where we need to start. Declaring war on the sinful nature. determined not to reopen negotiations with some parts of it. And then looking for the directing and prompting work of the Spirit who leads us in this great inside-out journey. And so to finish with the words of the Apostle Paul here, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. As since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And His beautiful fruit will increasingly emerge in our lives. And brothers and sisters, I am buying that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these words. Uh, We recognize that there is a battle on between what's left of the sinful nature within us and your great spirit living within us so that we often don't do what we really want to do. And Lord, that often causes us despair and frustration. Let it this morning cause us hope as well as we realize there's stuff going on that we really want to do. And Lord, we also... uh, Pray that you would give us the the determination, having crucified the sinful nature, not to reopen and recommence negotiations with it. And to listen and look for the leading and prompting of your spirit through your word, through your people, uh, through his prompting, that we might keep in step with the spirit and bear his fruit. For the glory of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.